Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford. And I'm Nick Lozano. Today we're joined by our guest, Tommy Reed, who's going to be speaking with us a little bit on the topic of organizational development, uh, a topic that I know is near and dear to his heart. Tommy, maybe you can kick us off with a little bit of a backgrounder on yourself and what uh, led you uh, to the path of being an OD practitioner as well as a technologist. Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to thank you both for the opportunity. I'm glad to uh, be a part of this with you. Uh, so my background is, you know, I've been in IT most of my adult life, actually probably all of my adult life um, in various capacities. Um, I've been at my current organization for about 16 years and uh, pretty much been in all uh, capacities of, of technology, except probably development. Um, so that's that's everything from um uh, just just being on the ground, uh, helping folks with their day-to-day, um, all the way through leadership of the um, IT organization, um, infrastructure. I'm, I'm now in cybersecurity, and, and which is really where my passion is. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be there of late. Um, my educational background is um, uh, my bachelor's is in, in management uh, from Baker University here in Kansas, and my master's is in organization development. Uh, which is, uh, aside from technology, probably, um, you know, one of my true passions in, at least in, in the leadership realm of things. Well, and that's part of what intrigues me about you as a technology leader. Most technologists don't rattle off that kind of an act- academic background. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious, how, how did those two paths uh, end up running concurrently for you in your uh, professional life? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it really started with my desire to just sort of round things out. Um, you know, I've always loved technology. Um, I've always been, you know, even a troubleshooter at heart, um, very analytical, problem solving, that sort of thing. Uh, but w- one of the things that I noticed um, in my uh, career, uh, even early on, was just how uh, sort of black and white we tend to be as technologists, um, you know, in, in terms of maybe we, uh, and not to knock the practice, because <laughs> I, I can't knock the, the field that I, that, that's near and dear to my heart, but, um, w- you know, we may tend to throw technical solutions to uh, a challenge, uh, for example, if only we had this tool, if only we had this software, um, because that's, that's what technology does for us, right? It's, it's you know, letting robots <laughs> do the thing um, that frees us up as humans to do the thinking while the computers do the doing. And so, uh, so, so that's all great, but at least in in my experience, I, I wanted to have more of a just a, a knowledge and background around how human behavior um, contributes to who we are um, as an organization. And, you know, you apply this to anything, whether it's technology or or, or any industry. Um, you know, OD. Uh, you know, there's a lot of definitions out there around what OD is. Um, my, my favorite um, that I kind of lean on lately is, you know, organizations, they're, they're made up of people. Uh, people have behaviors and those behaviors impact the organization. And so, um, you know, I was I, I really originally set out to apply that to 
how I could perform better on a team, how I could lead better on a technology team. Um, and, and now my interest has, has sort of grown beyond that to just, you know, the entire company culture, um, you know, within my or- own organization as well as helping out others. So I don't, I don't know, human behavior, it, it's just, um, it, it's fascinating to me and how that, um, again, Im- impacts and influences culture and organizations. So while you may not consider yourself a developer, it sounds like you are a bit of a designer uh, as well. <laughs> a wee bit. <laughs> a lot of what you, a lot of what you just described there, I would, I would, you know, qualify as uh, characteristics of what back in the day used to be called human-centered design. Now we tend to call it experience design, mm-hmm. uh, but very much, you know, it's those human behavior principles. How does that uh, drive us to interact with technology and? Uh, certainly on, on the um, technology facing side of an interface, you know, how, how people work with uh, the tech is uh, a critical component from, you know, being able to scope project implementations, rollout, training, all those types of things, yeah. uh, as well as the actual system design itself. So taking that sort of mindset and applying it to how do you actually structure the development of a department, particularly one that you may have inherited. Uh, I'd be curious to get some of your insight on that. Um, kind of starting with, you know, how do you how do you find um, the key skill set uh, that's already intrinsic to your team, mm-hmm. and then how do you take something and uh, kind of shake out the box and, and start from the beginning um, with an OD practitioner's mindset? Yeah, I love that question. Um, so I, I think I, I think at its base, you know, a, a, a common mistake that we could tend to make when we design a team is, you know, finding the right resource to uh, perform a technical task that's based on, you know, the skill set that you see on the resume. Um, and, and those are important things. I think, you know, when I when I look at all of that through the, the mindset of organization development, um, you know, one of the axioms of OD is that. Um, and this is, this is not a new concept. We've all heard that leadership is an activity, not a position. And so, um, hmm. you know, because of that, leadership is, um, you know, something that you, you want to see at all levels of the organization, not just at the top, you know, part of the, 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 the um, hierarchy triangle there. And so, you know, keeping that in mind, um, if, if leadership, if you want to see that at all levels of the organization, um, at least in my mind, I want to see, you know, when I'm designing a team, some of those competencies in a, um, in a, in a teammate, that's not just, um, you know, do you know how to code on this platform or do you know how to break fix, you know, this particular, um, technology or application? Um, and that, you know, that's not easy. <laughs> that doesn't always come out in, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times you may not completely, you may not completely understand how a particular um, contributor may fit into your organizational culture until they've been there a year or two. Because again, you know, culture is, you know, it's not as measurable as, as what the, you know, what we tr- traditionally can measure or, um, you know, people that are into finance, we like numbers, we like spreadsheets, we can measure if there's the number. Culture, how do you measure that? Um, and it's not that you can't, um, but it's it, it, it's a little more, it's a little more squishy, I guess. Uh, so that's, I, I guess, the first thing that comes to mind um, when it comes to designing a team is just thinking, you know, I, I, I want folks who are not just, um, 
you know, know this widget or know this technology, but they're on board and can help transform the organization uh, to where we desire our culture to be if we're in the middle of a culture change, I guess. That's great. So tell me a little bit, you know, I, I love that you brought up the axiom that leadership is an activity, not a, not a title, not a role. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about some methods that you've applied to help elevate some of the team members that you've had um, really to take them from that place of a contributor mindset into more of a strategic leadership type of thinking. Yeah, the, well, the, you know, sort of the most basic and it's not, you know, really, I don't think terribly eye-opening or, or transformative is just be a little fearless. Um, I, I have always coached anyone who has, has come to me and said, well, that's, you know, that's not really my place. And I didn't feel like I should speak up in that meeting or, um, didn't want to step on anybody's toes. I mean, we've all heard this, right. Um, you know, I, hmm. I, I've always just coached, you know, step on toes, um, be, be fearless, be, um, you know, not aggressive, don't be a jerk or anything, but, um, I, I don't know if folks just have a, a natural fear that, uh, their position or authority will be challenged as a leader if any of their contributors, um, sort of speak up. But I, I know, um, you know, when I, when I've had a, um, you know, a large uh, amount of direct reports. I craved that as a leader, and so I, I always, I always, um, you know, try to encourage folks to um, really step outside of their comfort zone. Um, that's sort of what my background and experience was. Is just I, I didn't fear um, just sort of respectfully um, speaking up and um, either either challenging assumptions um, or. Or, or just really, you know, taking ownership of things that, that may have been outside of outside of my skill set that I could just then grow grow into. Um, I, I think it's it's easy to sort of uh, you know fall back on the I can do these things because this is within my skill set. Um, just don't be afraid to step out of things, even if you have no idea how to do it. Um, I, I've heard that consistently from most leaders that any time that they grew. Uh, in their experience was because they just challenged themselves to grow into something. I've heard CEOs tell me this and um, it, it just, you know, lean into it. No, Tommy, it seem, seems like to me um, when I hear you speaking, there's almost like a dichotomy to it, right? Um, you, you don't want to, you know, surround yourself with yes men. You're kind of looking for people who have ideas and um, will kind of challenge you. Um, not that they want confrontation, but you know, to bring out maybe that there's a mistake that somebody's making down the road to kind of, you know, have enough confidence to do that. And it seems like you also enable your team to uh, fail at something, which is what I feel like a lot of people are kind of afraid to do. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, having permission to fail um, at, at all levels um, at the, at the I, I keep saying leadership level, but that's, you know, um, it, it, <laughs> at, at, at the top of the hierarchy, I'll put it that way. Um, you know, all, all all the way to you know any any member of the cross section of the organization having permission to fail. And I think sometimes, um, you know, if we're lower on that food chain, um, you know, giving um, folks that we report to permission to fail and and some of that forgiveness and 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 if we, if we can have that sort of back and forth where um, we and it's not the goal, it's not what we're going for, right? But if, if you're taking risks and if you're putting mm-hmm. yourself out there and going. Um, you know, outside of what your quote unquote skill set is, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to fail. 
Um, but that's also where you're going to learn. And so I, I think if you, if you're so restrictive to where, uh, and so perfectionist where you don't have the freedom to, uh, fail, I would one probably find something else to do. Um, and, and to just really assess, um, uh, you know, what, what, what are my values? How am I, am I going to learn if I don't have that, if I don't have that Liberty? You know, there's a, a technique in neuro-linguistic programming. And I think this might even be something that I've heard Tony Robbins use before, where if you run into a situation where you don't know what to do, which invariably all of us will, right? Part of how you can adapt that mindset very quickly is to say, okay, I don't know how to do this, but if I did know how to do it, what would I do? And then all of a sudden, you know, there's that shift in your thinking uh, that enables you to step forward and uh, actually see the uh, the challenge from from more of a, a solution oriented mindset versus being locked up with the uncertainty you know of what kind of decision to make. I know that that's something that uh, has been uh, a technique that I've shared uh, with some of my direct reports over the years, um, particularly as they run into you know some of those key challenges. Are there some other techniques that you can think of that are similar? Uh, that you think have been beneficial to those that you've helped to coach or uh, who have reported up to you? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I guess another area where I'm a little passionate about is just sort of knowledge of self. So again, that's going back to the behavioral component of, of OD, where you know, we're, we're, our, our, our organizations or, or whatever culture or, or, or whatever, you know, we're, we're part of we're made up of people, people have behaviors and, the, and those that then impact that, um, that particular environment. And so, um, knowledge of self is, I guess, important to me. Um, because some of those, um, you know, as you were mentioning, um, you know, if we tend to sort of doubt ourselves, um, the reason we doubt ourselves is probably somewhere in that we'll, we'll probably discover when we know ourselves, and, and that could be part of any, whether it's a personality profile or any of the, you know, dozens of, of uh, models out there um, uh, to learn more about ourselves. Uh, it's, 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 it's going to, you know, show up there, I, I think. So is it, is it because I'm afraid of, I've had a bad experience in the past, or maybe I had my hand slapped for um, trying and failing, or is it just because I'm just more comfortable doing exactly what I know how to do? Um, and, and that's fine too. I mean, we, we need technical experts that, um, you know, they're, they're great at what they do and, 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 uh, don't necessarily want to, um, I, I guess, branch out and, you know, their focus is more on a, um, you know, being really competent about certain things and put the book learning and the class learning in front of that. That's fine. Um, some of us may be a little more fearless and, and, and put ourselves out there. And I think when you know yourself, um, you, uh, um, I, I guess, can really decide how you want to approach leadership and, and, and approach your role on a, on a team. That's one question for you. You know, we kind of brought up behavioral science. So mm -hmm. are we taking, uh, would you think that, you know, a leader should take their team and kind of have them do like disc profiles or what's the other one, like big five 
um, or one of those other type of personality tests, or or is there something else you know leaders should be thinking about? Uh, no, I think those are great. I think those are great. Um, DISC, MBTI, um, process communication model, they're, they all overlap, um, at least everyone that I've <laughs> encountered or had any experience with. I think, I think those are great. They can help um, one as, 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 as a leader of a team understand what your own constraints are and what your own opportunities are. Um, they, you know, the one thing that I find consistent with all of them is they almost immediately expose um, to yourself and to your team members, oh, so that's why we rub each other the wrong way, or that's why we had <laughs> this conflict um, last Thursday. Um, and, and then, you know, going beyond that, it's it's how I can either change, um, you know, my assumptions that I'm bringing to a, a conversation or a situation. Um, and then hopefully, you know, when, when, when everyone's engaged in doing that together, um, you know, a team can move out of, um, you know, if they're in a storming phase, they can move more into a norming and performing type phase, um, that sort of thing. But um, I, you know, the one thing that I, that I would ask leaders to sort of put more onus on themselves is, um, uh, you know, and, and you'll see this in the, in the, um, in, in PCM is, uh, you know, take a little more responsibility to modifying your, um, your language to fit um, the person that you're speaking with. So, um, if they're more of a dreamer and sort of out there and, and, um, you know, sort of bouncing from concept to concept and not, not just, <laughs> you know, the workaholic that's just drilled down on, on, on technical work, sort of, sort of speak their language and, and, um, you know, to the workaholic, you know, you may value more like, you know, when is this getting done? When is the deadline? That sort of thing, you know, that engage your audience, I guess. And, and that looks different depending on what model you're working from. But, um, you know, short answer, yes. I, I, I think those are, are, are very valuable to inform a leader on, um, on, on, on his or her team. So some of what I'm hearing you say is that it's critical not only that you go through that type of assessment, but then that the results of that assessment are openly shared with all members of the team. Yeah, yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah, share it um, and keep it current. Um, you know, I've heard anecdotes of, you know, like MBTI for, I mean, INTJ, for example. So I might put INTJ next to my nameplate on my, on the wall outside my office or, or, you know, I've, I've heard companies that, that, that do that. They'll, they'll post these things outside of their offices. And, um, so that when you, you know, when you step into uh, a conversation with someone, um, uh, you know, me being the introvert, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk <laughs> as much as, as, uh, uh, as, as most anyone else, but, uh, um, or, or my energy comes from a, from a, from a different, uh, different place than the extrovert might. So I don't know. It's, it, it's, I think when you do those sort of things, you, um, you can have a little fun with it. Um, you can learn from each other. You can crack jokes about it, but, um, but yeah, definitely make it public and um, um, and make it a shared learning experience. I've got a question for you around, you know, how to hire and yeah. um, really, you know, my question is, as as a leader, do you hire first based on skill set uh, or first based on culture fit? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I, you know, I value both, of course. Um, but skill set is really easy to get to the bottom of. Um, it, it comes out in the resume, and it comes out in 
usually in in the first part of any conversation, right? So, um, you know, if you say that you're, uh, you know, speaking to the sort of the technology field, if you say that you're a Microsoft certified systems engineer, I, you know, through a handful of conversations, I'm going to learn pretty quickly whether that's an embellishment on the resume or if you are futurely are an MCSD. <laughs> um, culture fit, I, I think I, I probably spend a little more time on some of those things um, as challenging as it may be, because, you know, I don't want to bring someone on board that's going to disrupt the team um, negatively. I mean, disruption in itself isn't necessarily negative, but uh, but have a, a negative long-term adverse effect. Um, you know, certainly there may be a storming phase as there as there is typically when any team goes through any kind of change, and that can be you know, um, you know, just changing one position within that team. You you go all the way back through um, forming, storming, and, and all that. Um, but it, it, it's important enough to me to where you know I, I'm going to ask questions. You know, some of some of the uh, it may be an SBR. Give me the a, a situation, your behavior, and the result of that. Um, that's more in an adaptive challenge situation than necessarily how you fixed a certain server or you know put out a piece of software. Um, what were some of the more adaptive components of that particular project um, that um, where you added in value? That's that's great. I'm I'm curious too about. Uh, do you have a similar line of questioning around um, conflict resolution? How someone might uh, approach uh, being challenged with difficult situations? Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, pretty much take uh, take them back through the SBR model of you know, give me examples of what that situation, behavior, and result was. Um, most. I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone for a technology position that didn't have some sort of conflict um, example. And, and in technology, that ranges, you know, every everyone, everywhere from, you know, frustrated with my uh, PC. And it's it's a help desk te- technician that we're, that we're interviewing for, uh, you know, how they handle sort of the frustrated uh, person. Nobody calls nobody calls the help desk or calls 911 when things are going great. Right. So, um they, you know, I want to hear how they, you know, sort of um, keep the heat at the appropriate level, or, or, or at least manage their own, um, their own emotions when the person on the other end of the phone isn't being reasonable, and that's that's certainly the case too. Um, all the way through, you know, some of your more complex scenarios where, um, you, you know, it's a large scale project where there's competing values and conflicting. Um, you know, desires within an organization, uh, you know, you may have, you know, some heavyweights in the organization that don't even agree with the, uh, with the particular project or the initiative. And, and that's um, certainly a challenge and, and not for, not for the timid. <laughs> now, I do have a question for you now. It, it seems like this organizational development is kind of a top down initiative. Um, let's say you want to, deploy it and within your department or your uh, silo and you don't have top management from is there a way you can kind of do this from bottom up instead of just doing top down um, that you can get buy-in more to uh, show upper management that maybe it should be something taken seriously and maybe taken organizational wide kind of a way to pilot you know organizational development yeah i mean that's a great question because i I think to have an official sort of od um intervention or 
or project, um, it, it's absolutely um, likely going to be a top down or whether we've either hired a, um, an onsite OD practitioner um, or we've, we've challenged a team to, um, you know, put together um, an OD practice or intervention, or we've gone outside, which is um, probably more often the case, um, going outside to a consultant um, who's competent in OD. Um, lacking that, um, and that's not to say that OD in and of itself is a top-down philosophy, because OD is actually, in, in and of itself, it's the opposite of that. It's a very democratic process. Um, but onboarding it with uh, with a company is is often top down, and you do have to have that top down support. Um, so, you know, it's it's a being a, dem- a democratic philosophy where um, you know one key concept is that that uh, you know the the shared corporate knowledge exists at all levels of the company. Um, so, you know, one 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 approach is to just just begin practicing. Um, you know, uh, it goes a, a little bit back to, um, you know, what I mentioned earlier on in the call of it just being a little bit, bit fearless, um, learning, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's, you know, suggesting a small project around emotional intelligence or, you know, coming to your supervisor and saying, hey, you know, I, I realize we kind of struggle, you know, we may have these things going great, but I kind of wonder if some of our personal conflict could be resolved if we looked at, um, you know, this personality profile or um, doing some of that softer stuff and just sort of nudging a little bit. And that, that's actually a little bit of how I started even before I, I studied OD was just looking outside of what our day-to-day tasks were and just, um, and I guess, I, I guess, again, this comes from being a sort of a troubleshooter at heart, was finding, you know, maybe problems that existed on our team or opportunities um, to to sort of think outside of this project or fixing this system or installing this software or whatever and just learning how we as a team can develop um so i guess short answer is nudge <laughs> um it, sort of behind <laughs> and then um you know and hopefully you know if you if you if you do your homework and and um consult a little bit and um and have a successful outcome, you know, you can kind of push that a little bit further and say, well, you know, there's actually a little bit of method to my madness. And, you know, we might seriously consider what some of our opportunities might be if we did go um, and, and budget for next year, some, some uh, uh, OD practitioner knowledge or, or, or maybe develop uh, the skill set of a certain team member, which happened to be my experience. So, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a few opportunities there to, to do that without the top down support. That's great. I've got a follow up question on that. And this is, really around kind of assessing what you've got, right? So I'm curious, uh, talk a little bit about your approach or your leadership style that might help inform assessing what it is that you might need on a team that you currently don't have, as well as filtering out some of those things that aren't working. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that actually touches on another um, just key competency and philosophy around OD, and that's around assessment research. Um, it, it's very much a practice where we do a lot more listening than we do telling and directing and, 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 and prodding and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, for example, you know, putting it in the, um, the context of culture, for example, say, say you have a, an OD, um, initiative, um, or a corporate initiative around, um, our corp, corporate culture. Um, you know, one of the first things you want to do is just assess where you're at 
and you know how much gap is there between where you're at and where you're going and and the sky's the limit i know we don't have time to get into um all, all of a, the particular possibilities there because um you know there is no one culture that's right um so you know for example um you know apple wants to change the world and another technology company want to make just huge margin on software that solves a particular problem um well the latter is is easy to d- disrupt because you just make better software make a better widget um but neither one of those cultures are necessarily wrong um so you start with um in this example of culture is just assessing and you know there's a variety of methods um to um assess i i I particularly like just sort of breaking things down to where you are today and where you desire to be you know where where are you currently and what are your aspirations and seeing what those gaps are and you know there's just a variety of reasons why um you may be off the mark um and and that can you know can vary by the age of the company you know the further you you get from the founding of an organization where a culture is strong and you know well known and and probably even very public you know think of some of the silicon valley um companies where um you you know you know they're they're young new and fresh and so um the culture is 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 very much well known well once you start getting multiple decades and generations between that startup phase um into a mature phase that that can evolve radically um sometimes for the negative and sometimes for the better so um you know long answer longer um you know, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of research, a lot of assessing, a lot of diagnosis. Um, one thing that I've experienced in, in the OD field with those who have done a lot of practicing outside of their own organization is a lot of times, you know, when an organization comes to a practitioner to, um, you know, say, help, help us out here, um, through that through that process of inquiry and diagnosis, you may find that what they're asking for may be completely unrelated to what they really need. And so, um, and, and that's why diagnosis is so important. Um, you know, help us roll out this project to install this bit piece of software because we're getting a lot of resistance and we need to overcome that resistance. Okay, <laughs> um, well, you know, that resistance contains information, right? And so, you um, you know, through that diagnostic phase, you may learn that, you know, maybe the person raising their hand and reaching out to the OD practitioner, um, they're either wrong or they're misinformed or, you know, they're, they're looking at it through a particular lens that, that either doesn't benefit the organization or, or doesn't benefit, benefit it as well as it could. And so, um, so, so again, it, it's in diagnostics that these kinds, uh, this type of information presents itself. And ultimately the, you know, the OD practitioner is, is not there to, um, sort of tell you what to do, but more to give you the competency as an organization to solve this for yourself. Very good stuff. Uh, you know, we were kind of talking earlier offline before we started the show and I kind of see lots of resemblance between Lean Six Sigma and uh, OD. Um, and I feel like that's kind of a good jumping point for some some leaders to kind of get into this because a lot of this seems very familiar to me. Um, is there a way you can kind of take some of those concepts and apply them to OD um, to kind of get your feet wet to uh, dip into the content? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a little bit in the, um, you know, the quality management um 
you know, and process side, and, and there's certainly a lot of intersection there. It's one area where I am not an expert um, or have a lot of practice in. Um, it, you know, it, it, again, OD is, it, it, it's got, you know, multiple facets, including consulting and, and leadership coaching, uh, diagnosing and assessing culture, large group facilitation, and and um, the quality management, change management um, piece. So, so Sig, Lean Six Sigma, for example, I, I can't um, speak a whole lot to that um, uh, whatsoever, but it's, it's definitely a facet and a component that, that may um, present itself as a, as a solution for or an organization if they're struggling in that area. So on that note, are there other designations that one can pursue uh, beyond going for a full-blown uh, master's program in OD, what are, what are some sort of bite-sized variations of, um, you know, as Nick said, getting your feet wet and, and having an understanding? Yeah, absolutely. So there's some uh, um, credentials around coaching um, that is very much a, um, either a, it can be an end result after, um, uh, say, you know, going for a full-blown master's or a stair step up into um there, there, there would probably be the, the, the one that mostly comes comes to mind. Um, there's some various consulting accreditations. Um, you know, others, you know, project management um, is, you know, might be a cousin, um, but not necessarily a, um, a core competency within, within OD. But, but one of the reasons why I bring it up is because I feel like sometimes project managers are often saddled with some of these adaptive challenges in, um, you know, rolling out a particular initiative. We, you know, we all look to the project manager. Well, you know, how do we resolve this conflict? Well, it's not his or her responsibility. Um, so <laughs> I, I bring that up more to say project managers might be interested in looking at some OD concepts to help um, uh, sort of herd the cats that uh, uh, that come about in, in some of these, um, especially technology projects, as, as, as I know that both of you are very familiar with. Um, it, there's just, yeah. uh, it, it, it seems more often than not, there's, there's more adaptive challenges that present themselves than, than just the technical, um, quick fixes. Well, as a certified scrum master, I resemble that remark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely feel like I've been put into the OD light practitioner role on more than one occasion for I've sure. It. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, you know, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about leadership styles. I've heard heard you reference multiple times now the term adaptive. Uh, I, you know, knowing you, I know that that's something that's already, uh, you know, a, an area of passion for you. How does that, uh, you know, factor into having sort of that review and assess, assess mindset? You know, more of that uh, agile approach or. Um, uh, situational uh, sort of leadership style. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. Um, so I think um, on the on the positive front, there's no shortage. I guess it's positive. Um, there's no shortage of adaptive challenges in any organization, and so um, you know we. I've seen time and time again, and, and I, I know the two of you have as well, where a, a, a technical problem is treated as, an, as, or excuse me, an adaptive challenge is treated as a technical problem, right? And so, um, and just to, 
you know, sort of define for the listeners, um, you know, your technical problems are those things that they're easy to identify. They're often solved by a, a technical expert. You can outsource it. You can just, you know, we just need somebody to come in here, write this code, do this thing, install this software. Um, and, and the solution is very easy to identify. Um, the reason I, I bring it up and I, I encounter it um, just about constantly anymore is that, um, you know, adaptive challenges are often misidentified um, as technical problems. Um, the adaptive being, you know, they're, 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 they're not as easy to define um, and, and to solve them, it may require more than one individual. It may require us to change our thinking. It may challenge our, our culture. Um, uh, sort of on the more difficult scale, um, the you, you know the people that are responsible for solving it could likely be the people that are responsible for causing it, and so um, so that's that's not, I mean that's not you don't get that in a Microsoft book or a Cisco book on how to do technology, right? Um, and so again, um, you know, it's, you've kind of touched on something that was an area of passion for me and, and part of why I sort of, um, you know, set out to study um, organization development and, and, and sort of this, this um, sort of subset of technical and adaptive is that um, I, I felt personally just ill-equipped to, um, deal with adaptive challenges, especially if I was using an old, um, an, a, an old framework of, you know, I'm not the leader, I'm not the boss, I'm not, you know, at this particular slot or, or box on the hierarchy, um, you know, who am I to, um, uh, to say that this director and, and this C-level person, you know, uh, need to get, get in the room and, and, and duke this out before, you know, they um, start buying technology. So, um, it, it is it is one area where I would recommend any technologist who's struggling with um, sort of, you know, I, I can't fix this with a widget or I can't fix this with, um, um, uh, you know, this particular initiative to, to really look into adaptive and technical. And um, yeah, I just it, it's just very eye opening, I think. Certainly an area where I've encountered it probably the most is when there's suddenly a rally cry to change some particular system because there's a perceived stigma against an existing system. And yep. from a diagnostic perspective, you know, I, I tend to come to that kind of thing. I ask a lot of questions and, and of course, having more of a requirements gathering background from a software development uh, side of technology, it's, you know, you have to have a fundamental understanding of where those challenges are occurring. And once you've got a list put together, you suddenly realize, okay, out of these 12 things, two of them seem to be related to the technology. The rest of them are either lack of rules of engagement, like mm -hmm. no accountability, <laughs> no management <laughs> mandates, process deficiencies, you know, lack of standardized processes, uh, a lot of those things. So uh, I really resonate with uh, what you're talking about related to the adaptive technical challenges. It's easier for folks who are not well attuned uh, to this way of thinking to immediately cite the technology as being at the center of the problem when really there are a lot of these other things that, that factor into it. Um, so I think that that's a very valuable uh, mindset and trait for any leader uh, to be able to acknowledge and embrace whether or not they're directly responsible for technology or not. Yeah, I think you nailed it because I, you know, and I, I think that's something that, that I would ask your um 
you know, listeners who are, are in more of that um, decision making, you know, higher up the uh, um, higher up the organizational chart, um, you know, having that responsibility for some of these things, because a lot of times they just hear the feedback that, well, you know, software X stinks and, you know, we're just not using it. And so, you know, they may come to a technologist and say, well, you know, we got to get rid of software X and go to software Y because I'm hearing that it stinks. And um, so I guess where I would challenge leaders to do is to uh, just like just as you do and, and and we've all done historically is is maybe up front sort of ask some of those questions and do um, a little bit of that diagnosis up front to find out, OK, is it really just the software um, and, you know, using the example that that you gave, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things may potentially present themselves to where they can um, either push back or while they're engaging technology to sort of fix the problem, be a little more informed as to the non-technical aspects of it. Tommy, I'd like to ask you another question uh, related to, you know, let's just do a little scenario role playing here. So say you're a new leader, you're either being promoted into a leadership role, you've been moved into an organization from another organization, and you're, you're trying to get your feet on the ground. You're ultimately trying to go through that uh, assessment process of, you know, what is the existing department design that you've inherited? And by the way, you've also just been handed a directive from uh, the top level manager um, that whatever it is that you accomplish, we're going to have, by God, uh, technology strategy. So um, when when you have those types of things that seem, you know, like pretty insurmountable <laughs> challenges uh, to deal with in a new leadership role, um, where do you start? Do you put the strategy first? Do you uh, start going through more of a department design analysis? Walk us through a little bit of how you solve that. I was going to say yes to all of it. <laughs> you, uh, you, you do, <laughs> the easy fix, you, just say yeah. Yeah, no, you do, you do kind of have to walk and chew gum at the same time because um, especially in technology or, you know, when you're, when you're um, you know, leading a, a technology practice within um, within your company, um, n- nobody's going to wait or be patient. Um, um, you know, in my my experience, I've gone from from you know peer to manager, which um, has many um, challenges um, just at the outset. Um, on t- so on top of the expectations of your um, um, peers, who, by the way, I you know tend to continue to think of everyone as peers, no matter where I am in the in the in the in the box um, of the organizational chart, you know, we're all in this together. Um, it sort of reminds me of, of um, uh, Nick, what you shared in your, in your opening podcast about the, uh, the Navy SEALs, um, you know, that leader um, that's, you know, in that, um, in that boat um, is, is very much an active participant in getting past the breakers in the ocean, but also, also leading. So, um, so that never changes. Um, but one of the new complexities that I guess is added to that, that scenario, Brian, that you, um, that you mentioned is the, now the expectations of top management, because maybe you've been put here because, um, there's new expectations or, you know, we need new blood in here. We want this certain change to take place, you know, whatever that may be. And, and, uh, you know, then if you were, if you were blessed to, to be put in that position, 
um, you you now have that responsibility to um, either you know build on an existing strategy, throw it all out, start a new one altogether, um, and, and do it simultaneously with some of those design um, uh, needs that you may have um, on your team. So uh, I guess again, short answer is is it 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 needs to happen simultaneously. Um, it, if you're new to an organization or have, have, have sort of risen through the ranks, I still think some of the um, competencies are the same. Uh, I think it starts with listening, a lot of listening. Um, and that's, you know, listening to the various business partners um, within the organizational network that, um, you know, whether they're um, sort of all things, all things are good, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. That's great. All the way down to, okay. Um, you know, we've, we've sort of been neglected for years and this is what I need from you. Um, you know, pulling all of that information together and, um, making sure that it's, it's part of your, um, overall strategy. And some of those are more internal focused things. Um, and, and, you know, so again, simultaneously, you're looking at what, what's the external um, focus with your organization? Are we looking to transform? Are we looking to disrupt? Are we looking to uh, just keep going, but just increase our growth and profitability, keep doing what, you know, sort of our hedgehog? Um, you've got to know all that and you've got to know all of it at the same time. I, I don't think you want to spend a lot of time gathering that information and then designing your team, you know, a year or two later. Um, even though some of that may take that long, it just, it just, um, it really depends on sort of the state of what you've inherited. Well, I'm glad you can make it sound so easy. It ain't. <laughs> <laughs> it's that easy button, right? You just can pick it up at Staples, hit it, right? Done. <laughs> uh, go, always takes me back to, go ahead. Always takes me back to one of my favorite Bob Lewis books, uh, you know, uh, leading it still the toughest job in the world. Yes. Yes. I recall that one. No, talking about it is easy, and I, I don't mean, mean to make it sound easy because it really isn't. So uh, since we're on the topic of books, Tommy, is there a book that you recommend other people to read or that had a big influence on you or that you gift or any piece of media or anything like that? Yeah, um, you know, there's there's a few um, sort of on the OD front. Um you know, one of my favorites that I break out now and again is the uh, the, cor- the corporate culture survival guide by Ed Grishin. Um it, It's not terribly new. I think it was early two thousands. Um, you know, it's it's got um, just a lot of good nuggets in the in the area of of culture. Whether you're just wanting to understand, um, you know, the importance of culture um, with um, the makeup of an organization or the development of your organization, um, e- even if you're starting up. Um, I, w- I would recommend that. Um, my favorite tome of all time on the topic of technical and adaptive is um, it, it's one that your listeners um, have likely heard of is Leadership on the Line uh, by Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky. Um, it's, I, I think it's a little bit older, probably early 2000s, 2001 or so. And um, it's, it's constantly updated. Um, I, I think there's several additions into it. Um, but again, it's, uh, it's got a lot of great case studies on adaptive and technical and just a good foundation on, um, on that whole front. And then lastly, I think on a, from a personal development perspective, I'm a huge fan and I, I, I break it open every now and again, um, is uh, Seth Godin's um, linchpin. And so uh, <laughs> it was particularly eye-opening for me um, as I was going through um, some of my 
um, adult education. I, I had the I had the fortunate pleasure of going through <laughs> my master's program while also having just recently been promoted into a new role. And things were awfully crazy when I picked up this book, and it, it was um, it was really helpful in terms of of understanding where. Uh, how you can position yourself as someone, you know, you're not just a cog in the machine that's easily replaceable. Um, you're a linchpin, which is a, uh, the analogy is it's, you know, you pull the linchpin out and the machine falls apart. And so um, organizations, and it has a message for the individual as well as the organization. So, um, you know, the message to the individual is make yourself indispensable so that, you know, you can grow within the organization. The message to the organization is hire and develop and 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 bring on linchpins because you know then you as an organization become indispensable. Um, so if you have cogs in your machine that can't be replaced, that you as a as a whether you're a disruptor or protecting yourself from disruption are now um, irreplaceable because of the um, just the quality of folks that you have um, have on board. Risky is safe. Safe is risky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite Seth Godin quotes. <laughs> it's got to be right. That's 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 a classic right there. <laughs> Good stuff from Seth. Well, Tommy, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to meet with us. Uh, this is a topic that uh, you know we could take multiple hours uh, really drilling down into the importance of it. And it's, again, something that spans all leadership practices, uh, not just leadership within technology. So I find your insight very valuable and really appreciate you taking the time to share that uh, with us and with our listeners as well. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me and uh, appreciate the chat. Thanks. And is there, if uh, listeners want to reach out to you, is there any way they can get a hold of you or find you on the, the internet? I know, I know you said you're kind of not on social media, but... <laughs> no, I, I'm on the LinkedIn um, so I can just be found by uh, searching for Tommy Reed um, out on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, I just want to uh, thank you, Tommy, for taking the time out of your day to, you know, be a guest here on Lead.exe. And I feel like you've provided a lot of valuable insights for our listeners to kind of take back and um, soak it all in. And we'll probably have to have you back on to explore more of this organizational development as I feel like we've just kind of you know, barely scratched the surface. We haven't even really got anywhere. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I think we. I think we really did. We just kind of hit it at the top level, and it'd be a it'd be a pleasure to uh, join you sometime. That's great. Thanks again, Tommy. All right, thank you. Thank you both. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tommy Reed. Just a couple quick closing items. If you could go ahead and leave us a review or subscribe if you liked any of our content, either on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Um, and if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or feedbacks, if you could just go ahead and shoot us an email, info at leadexe.com. And also, I just want to let the audience know that we do post full transcripts of the show on our website. That's www.leadexe.com. Dot lead exe.com. Thank you.